0: You're listening to episode 15 of the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazouzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome EasyMade Nation for the second part of the podcast with Eric Wahlbrecht. So I hope you enjoyed the first part. If you didn't, so you can go uh, on the, on the podcast, uh, podcast website, so podcast.easymedicaldevice.com to see the previous episode. And we'll continue now with the talk with Eric. So I still hope that you have subscribed to the podcast or subscribe to the channel, the YouTube channel, uh, and that you provide also some review. It will be really helpful for me, it takes a few seconds for you. So really, thank you for that. Okay, let's jump to the second part, which is really also a great one. But uh, in terms of that, so as we said, we have now more regulation. So before we had the MDD, now the MDR, which is increasing, if I can say. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, the consequences for big companies and small companies? Ah, yeah, big companies and small companies. Well,
1: what I typically see is that uh, the um, um, I would say within big companies you have two groups. there's the companies that uh, are that that have basically said, okay, we are going to um, um, as uh, as this guy says in uh, this excellent science fiction movie *The Martian*, we are going to uh, science the shit out of this. Yeah? So, like for example, uh, Alcon is a, is a good example of it. They were very public about it. They said, "Okay, we want to be ready before everybody else." Okay.
0: Um,
1: and there's 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 companies that see this uh, among the big companies as a, a potentially competitive advantage. Whereas there's also companies that say, well, I just see this as an uh, unnecessary uh, 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 cost exercise. It's not very clear at the moment, so I'm going to do as little as I can and delay implementation uh, as long as possible. These are the big companies that will run into some nasty surprises. Okay. But that's the minority of the big companies, I would say. So you've got uh, so then there's then there's the small companies and what you typically see with small companies is that uh, you've got well first there's the small companies that uh, have no idea huh? then are the small companies that have an idea but they have no resources so okay. they're basically sitting like okay uh, there's a lot I need to do but I just can't seem to uh, yeah make this happen and then there are the small companies that. Totally nail it because they have a limited number of products and they are like, okay, this is sink or swim. So we are going to get this right no matter what. Now, the uh, another, let's say complicating factor with smaller companies, I would say is that um, if you have smaller companies with really innovative products Uh, high risk innovative products then uh, for them the level of complexity uh, and the level of remediation they need to do can be really daunting let's say for example uh, i am a startup company with a neural implant that allows people with lock-in syndrome to communicate with the outside world right totally low risk not surgically invasive uh, you know huh? it's like uh, what 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 could go wrong with an implant like that well this is this is the kind of stuff that would uh, would be subject to a lot of additional scrutiny, which we do not know yet because uh, the the MDCG committees that uh, are going to look at this uh, I think they will be established very soon but still not there is no guidance on what kind of clinical uh, evidence would we like to see for this kind of thing although uh, it's going to be part of the uh, uh, part of european scrutiny and even though um, there is a possibility for a procedure under the MDR, that looks a bit like the pharmaceutical scientific advice procedure, right? That allows you to go to the uh, uh, authorities and ask for scientific advice. Well, you first need a window that's open that you can go to and say, uh, "Hello, uh, what should I do in terms of clinical uh, data for this this particular super high risk uh, uh, and totally uncomplicated uh, implant?" But yeah. That's that's the problem with the transitional period. All of that stuff is still not in place yet. So that means that that by the time that that's ready, a small company almost doesn't have any possibilities anymore. And then the problem with small companies, I see, is that small companies are usually treated very badly by uh, notified bodies. They are really being pushed around. And that's, that's something that always annoys the hell out of me basically when I see clients that are really treated badly by notified bodies it's usually small companies.
0: Yeah, I imagine because they have small budget, they don't pay a lot, they have less employees because yeah. I saw that the fees for uh, for notified bodies are made like uh, how many employees you have, how what is your kind of size and everything which defines how much you have to pay for for that so
1: Yeah, and I see, I really see very nasty situations with notified bodies just saying like, "Uh, no, we can't schedule, uh, uh, we can't schedule your audit. We still can't schedule your audit. And then you see this company like sort of fighting with its notified body for almost a year before they finally can get an audit date scheduled. And then they have an audit date two weeks before their certificate expires. And then the notified body is like, hey, you have all these major nonconformities that you will yeah. ne- that you will never fix before your certificate expires. Ah, oh, that's too bad. Your certificate is going to expire, and you're like, Jesus, this is really, really. Yeah, I mean, if 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 a government agency would act like that, the world would be too small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if my body is acting like that, then everybody is like, oh well, that's just the market, you know. And that's something I think where. Competent authorities could do a lot by policing their notified bodies uh, better. I mean, I recently had a situation like that with one of these UK notified bodies that is in total disarray at the moment. And basically, nobody's picking up the phone. And then the only way that you can fix a situation like that is bi- basically is approach their competent authority and say, hey, is this the level of uh, administrative diligence that you are willing to put up with? And then... Fortunately, I mean, there's a lot you can say about the MHRA, but I think it's uh, I think the MHRA is fantastic. I mean, yeah. they should. I mean, the UK as a country and the Brexit, uh, I'm co- sort of agnostic about it. But we should really keep the MHRA. These guys, yeah, are people, they're incredibly responsive. Uh, they have done a lot, I think, for uh, for for the European devices uh, system. It's a pity we're losing the
0: MHRA. Yeah, no, it's it's really great because uh, I, I, a lot of the source of information I get are also get it from the MHRA website. They are providing a lot of information, a lot of documents, a lot of guidance. So it's really uh, uh answering a lot of questions, which is yeah maybe something that uh, we can lose with the Brexit. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really a pity. Uh, so mainly regarding uh, the small notified uh, small uh, companies and big ones. Um, we have now the situation with notified bodies where we have small and big notified bodies. Uh, I think we lose a lot of notified bodies also because uh, I think the requirements are increasing. Uh, so is this something that uh, will impact us also or not? Well, I think so because um,
1: there's, there's, you could say there's two big developments going on that affect the uh, notified body capacity. There's, of course, there's the whole MDR, IPDR designation uh, funnel, if you will, that yeah. all these notified bodies need to go through. And I think the last figures that are currently on the table say that there's uh, 33 uh, uh, notified bodies uh, for, uh, let, me, let me check in my secret notes, yeah. 33 uh, notified bodies that applied for MDR. So there's 33 applied. We don't know if they will all make it. We have only one for now that made it. Yeah, we have only one that for now made it, but that might as well be. uh, If we have a hard Brexit, then they're gone again. So So
0: just for people, the one that made it is BSI and BSI is a notified body for UK and UK is on Brexit in two months. So it's like uh, what, what will happen then?
1: Yeah, I think it's a nice publicity stunt that they managed to uh, get BSI designated uh, before the Brexit. But uh, yeah, it depends on what will happen uh, uh, with the Brexit, whether they are of any uh, any use to the uh, to to the rest of the. I,
0: I also uh, saw BSI uh, pushing people to move uh, their certification from the UK notified body to the Netherlands won. So it's also yep. kind of a message from them to to be more in the safe side instead of uh, waiting for a decision from the European Union.
1: And that's another interesting thing, actually, that's happening there because uh, and, and also shows that that competent authorities could work together a lot better because if you, if you look at the transfer process that BSI is offering its customers, I think it's really good Uh, to start with that they uh, can offer their customers uh, a a fast transfer process. But if you look at the transfer process, it is not necessarily in conformity with the uh, voluntary transfer process set out in the NBOC uh, guidance, uh, the 2006-1 document. Because that document says six months, or relabeling unless you can justify differently. Yeah, true. And what I've seen on the BSI transfer form is that they say, okay, do you want to change your labeling in six months, 12 months, or 24 months? And This is a bit weird because that means that apparently uh, BSI Netherlands and BSI UK are allowed to offer a transfer process that's twice as long as in the NBOL guidance or even four times as long as in the NBOL guidance, apparently with the Brexit as justification. But nobody says that aloud. Okay. And what I've also heard is that there are other notified bodies that would also like to uh, scoop up uh, BSI UK customers, which are not allowed by their competent authority to offer similar terms. Okay, you get this weird situation that um, that that yeah, there's there's a com- I would say there's almost an unfair competition issue between uh, notified bodies. Because the member states can't agree on what would be a normal uh, or what would be a justified
0: labeling uh, change period. So mainly it's authorizing, it's authorizing, for example, here, we talk about six months, but maybe more authorizing to get the, the label with the the old notified body number. So BSI number uh, from UK uh, and waiting 12 months. I mean, the transition period is 12 months to then change to the new notified body. Is it that? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, six month is really short. So yeah, now they increase it because maybe uh, people have stock, if I can say, with those products and they cannot change this stock or or, or reproduce the, those products. So it's mainly the, the reason, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's you could say that's one uh, one of the problems. Also, because the Brexit is uh, well, depending on what's going to happen either next month or uh, or or further away. But, yeah, I mean, I can see why the Brexit would be a situation in which you would justify a longer ch- changeover period, but then I would say make a European standard
0: for that and then uh, allow all notified bodies to do that yeah, no, it's clear it's um but, yeah, as you say, it's really unfair for for people um just one thing so um. Do you have customers that start to contact you to ask you advices of what should they do now if they didn't start, or...? Uh,
1: Yes, and that leads to sometimes uh, discussions that are straight out of uh, Alice in Wonderland. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because then uh, then I ask them, okay, so... So why haven't you been doing anything so far? And then they say, well, for whatever reasons, uh, the budget wasn't there. Our management didn't believe this was happening uh, and all that stuff. But um, I think the most problematic uh, with, uh, I mean, there's, there's two things you should be doing stuff for at the moment. You should have a scenario for a hard Brexit and you should have a scenario for a soft Brexit, whatever it's going to be, first of all. If you don't have scenarios for that, I think you're probably not running your company correctly or you have a very weird perception of risk management. Okay.
0: Um,
1: or, and there's the, there, there's the whole thing with transition to the, to the MDR. Yes. And I think if you're starting only now with your MDR transition, and even if you're only starting now with your IVDR transition, because that's two years further out for the, uh, the uh, uh, date of application, all the time you give away basically is time you give away and time that is going to come back and um, yeah basically make things difficult on you for example because you need access to experts that are not there anymore yeah true yeah i mean if 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 i speak to consultants now that say yeah i've got my first NDR project then i'm like at this moment, I'm like, wow, well, okay, then probably you're not the first uh, one that people are going to call. But yeah, then as a company, you're forced to work with people that are not the best. Uh, so that's that's one. Uh, also, um, uh, <clears throat> technically speaking, uh, there's this there's the possibility uh, to uh, if you currently have a CE certificate. To renew the CE certificate, so you can profit from the so-called soft uh, transition period. So theoretically, you could uh, renew your MDD or uh, AMDD, AIMDD certificate uh, until theoretically uh, 2024. Yeah, but if you want to do that, then you need to look at your notified bodies. Timing for that, And if you're with BSI, for example, BSI has said, if you do not hand in an MDD or AI MDD recertification request that's completely signed, sealed and delivered and fully uh, justified and reasoned by end of Q1 this year, so that's in uh, one March. month one month and March then I cannot guarantee that I can deliver this recertification before May, 2020, because you know, we also have this MDR coming and we have all this stuff to do under the MDR. And you see other notified bodies. I haven't seen any notified body yet that publicly said that they have the same timeline, but I know of others that have also timelines for this. If you look at 2 Süd, for example, they, they didn't say end of Q1, but they said that they 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 were a lot later in 2019, but still, they also have timelines. So that means that if you miss the window for MDD recertification and you are not ready to do an MDR certification for whatever reason, for example, because your notified body uh, is accredited too late, you don't have a slot, whatever... Then you miss out on both opportunities, and then the uh, then the May end of May 2020 date is really is 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 a uh, yeah it's basically it's a drop dead date for you because then you don't have an because you don't have an MDD certificate anymore you don't have an MDR certificate so you're basically out of luck and
0: uh, illegal. Do you think there will be some kind of products that will not be supplied to the market anymore due to that? Um, Yes, I think there will be companies that get
1: this wrong and uh, those those products will not be uh, available to the market. But what I see more in terms of products not being available to the market, and that's something that my hospital clients are complaining about, is that uh, because the MDR is such a lot of work and you don't really have a meaningful transitional period, you see uh, uh, manufacturers engage in portfolio rationalization. So they look at their portfolio and they're saying, okay, which devices do I want to invest in for remediation to the MDR and which ones I don't want to invest in? And that is going to be, uh, that is going, that is is creating uh, situations for hospitals that are not always comfortable. And depending of course, on how the whole notified body bottleneck at the end is going to play out, may create more shortages, because it might be that even if you're in a situation where you are ready for a conformity assessment application under the MDR, it might be that your notified body is not designated, or your notified body
0: is just not ready in time.
1: And yeah, because even
0: if even if the notified body uh, put an application for it, uh, maybe they will not be designated. So you are waiting for him to reserve his accreditation, but at the end, if he doesn't reserve it, then you need to have a plan B or plan C, or I don't know how many plans you need to plan.
1: Yeah, yeah, you need to think in scenarios. And what I see a lot with companies is that they, they haven't looked at is my, uh, what are the chances that my notified body will actually be uh, designated? And if they're not designated, what am I going to do? Yeah. You see a lot of, I think, frankly, pretty misleading uh, communication by notified bodies that are just saying like, yeah, well, all will be well. And okay. uh, I remember how this whole thing went with the uh, the, the, the team and the notified bodies. Remember that situation? Yeah. Just before 26 November 2017, they said, everybody of us, every single member of us is going to apply immediately on 26 November 2017. The Turkish notified bodies could not even apply because the the Turkish state didn't have legislation in place for that. The Swiss notified bodies were completely unclear because the Swiss had their MRA under negotiation, all of that. But still... And then there were quite a number that uh, uh, were in in all kinds of trouble that didn't have their applications ready. Still, they say, yeah, we are all going to apply. That was pretty misleading, I thought. And then uh, you see the first commission figures come out and you're like, hey, this is not possible. There are a lot less applications than Team b members said that they were going to apply. This is weird. Yeah. And if you ask, and then you see clients ask me like, hey, what's happening? And you see their communication with the notified body and the notified body says, no, no, all under control. And if you ask them directly, yeah, but did you put in an application? They say, well, we're not allowed to say, which is also not entirely right. I mean, notified bodies like, uh, I think, uh, uh, BSI and TwoSuit were always always quite uh, transparent about what they're doing. And I think that 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 is that's a good standard, but there are a lot of notified bodies that are also yeah they're 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 unapproachable, and if you ask them questions about what is your
0: plan, what are you doing, they just ignore the question. So it's ah uh, it's really um uh, I would say actually as we talked about Brexit now we talk about uh, the UMDR transition. It looks like a chaotic situation at the moment for for medical device manufacturers. The they have many messages coming. They don't maybe listen to all of them or don't really understand them. And now maybe at the end, it's the consumer who will be impacted and will not receive the products that he needs. So it's a, it's, it's a difficult situation, I think for the industry actually.
1: Well, and also still also for, for patients that would not receive medical devices. I mean, it's, it remains possible for member states to grant exceptions on a national level. But okay. then, these are things that have to be taken care of at the national level. So then you get this whole patchwork of uh, this country does this for emergency measure, this country does that. So it'll become, uh, well, Confusion Everywhere, which is uh, which is an acronym for CE that we probably do not want to
0: begin, uh, <laughs> in, right? I, I didn't know this one, but it's good, yeah, so uh, CE Confusion Everywhere, great. <laughs> but, uh, Confusion everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if the people have uh, no plan, I think they need to have a plan quickly or maybe it's too late, but uh, I think you have really to think about uh, your notified bodies and ask them really what they are doing. Uh, Is there there anything? uh, I I mean, do they really think that they will have this uh, accreditation? I don't know. Is there a due date for getting the accreditation or it's like... um, yeah, it can be until the last, uh, last moment. No, because, uh, because, I mean, there is uh, the MDR
1: and the IVDR do list a timeline for, uh, for the, the accreditation process, but in the accreditation process, there's, of course, the, 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 also the, the time it takes for a notified body to resolve the non-conformities that stand in the way of designation. And that is something that does not have a fixed time period attached to it. So these are typically things that, that, yeah, you can't predict. If you find a lot of major nonconformities in a notified body that they can't easily fix, then uh, let's say, for example, um, um, I don't know, there are rules about uh, notified bodies' impartiality and if you have a notified body that forms part of a bigger corporate group or was just acquired by a bigger corporate group then it might be difficult to uh, to to resolve things like this okay and and to agree to okay so what kind of corporate structure do we need that the uh, joint assessment team is satisfied that
0: the notified body is uh, enough at arm's length in this corporate group so you can imagine, yeah, it's uh it's also difficult for the competent authority because they have to check all those uh, requirements. And if they have some of the notified bodies that don't fulfill those requirements, they, it can be a, a longer time maybe to to uh, to put in place a strategy for notified body to be accredited then and then to uh, answer to his customers who are all waiting, if I can say. I think there are a lot of people waiting now and say, I want to be accredited, I want to be certified, so please be accredited as soon as possible. Yeah, there's, there's a lot you can say there too, because I was
1: speaking to the, the guys of the commission at some point and they said very deadpan, well, we've got our process uh, uh, set up, but actually we have a lot less uh, applications for designation than we expected. Okay. Is, I think also true because uh, there were quite some notified bodies that when they started uh, filling in their application packages that they realized that there was more to it than they initially thought. And then another thing, uh, like I said, uh, the, the, the whole notified body surveillance system at member states is quite thinly staffed. And these joint assessment teams that look at the notified bodies uh, for the for the MDR and the IVDR uh, um, designation, they are composed of people that are partially delegated by the commission, partially by member states, uh, and some people from the member state that received the application, and some from another member state. Not every member state has people. uh, Just can just pony up people and say, "Yeah, we will just dedicate them to this European process." I mean, if you're Malta and you have two people that are uh, that are working on medical devices surveillance in the first place, you are not going to give your whole national surveillance uh, capacity to Brussels and say, "Yeah, do some good stuff with that." That's not possible. So you also see that staffing the. joint assessment teams was uh, quite an issue, which I heard also led to some interesting situations with people being on joint assessment teams that were not always uh, that you had divergent opinions in a joint assessment team that, that people were discussing in the corridors where uh, the notified body could hear it. And I mean, there were some weird situations going on there as well.
0: Right, so I think it's uh, it's not the end. Uh, we have until uh, twenty May twenty twenty to see first if everything starts to go on the right direction, and I think we have until twenty twenty four or even twenty twenty five to yeah to to look at the, at this process and see really if it worked really well. Because as we said, the first, uh, there is a the transition period for class one products and other new non-medical products, which have to be by May 2020. And then all the others that have an MDD certificate can go until 2024. So it's like, uh, there will be yeah, some kind of, still some kind of anecdotes or story to, to, to talk about. And I hope you can come back and tell us more about that, maybe in a future episode also. Well, I can tell you some uh, right now. I mean, for, for 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 software, for example, Rule
1: 11 that bumps up a lot of the clinical decision support software to uh, to class to A or higher. I mean, there's 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 still quite actually big sophisticated software companies finding out only now about. Uh, Holy shit! This is actually going to affect us, and we need our, our, our we need our uh, our software uh, CE certified by uh, by uh, May twenty twenty, and that's that's a big thing because you see that that software is not uh, let's say an overly represented expertise at notified bodies because they never needed it because software was always Rule twelve self certified. So they never had a lot of software experts, and now they need a lot of software experts, uh, which are difficult to find. So that's that's going to be uh, that's going to be a big bottleneck, I
0: think. That's no, true. I also have also a lot of question about this rule 11. So what what means can provide death or can provide uh, injuries? Uh, if I say something, but the, the doctor misinterpret it, and then it's the death of the patient. Is it my fault? Is the fault of the? I mean, it's like a, a lot of questions also about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's uh, there, there's a lot of questions there still, and there's there's guidance in the making, um, and I know that the uh, that's even it's even explicit in the, the CAMD CMD uh, roadmap document that they're going to come with uh, uh, guidance on that, but that's going to be available this summer, I think. I think. Let me look in my secret notes. Yeah, it's uh, mid 2019, and I know there's a lot of work is being done on it at the moment, and they're they're pretty far along with it. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's going to be a very determinative uh, moment for the for the software uh, medical software industry. Uh, this guidance uh, coming out. So yeah,
0: so let's see let's see what what they will say. I'm sure there will be a lot of comments about that. Okay Eric, uh, let's wrap up this uh, this episode. Uh, just wanted to ask you where people can follow you I think on your blog. So can we have again the name of the blog? I will just put everything on the show notes, but uh, what was again the the uh, the URL address? Yeah, the URL of the blog is uh,
1: medicaldeviceslegal.com. And uh, and otherwise um, yeah, people can also uh, well that's that's the URL for the blog. Uh, people can find me on my uh, on the website of my firm, which is uh, Axon uh, Lawyers, so axonlawyers.com. com, and all my details are on it. Even my mobile number. So
0: uh. <laughs> they can disturb you at two in the morning if they have questions <laughs> about my phone at night. <laughs> uh, okay, so I will put anyway everything on the show notes. Um so Eric, thank you for for this uh, for this episode. I think there was a lot of details information. Uh for sure in maybe a few months I will try to invite you again to give us maybe more details about what is coming and if uh people are starting to uh, knock at your door asking you for more solutions for for their for their problems uh, but yeah i i i really hope that the medical device device industry is now waking up if i can say uh, they are now looking at plan a plan b or all the strategies that they have to put in place for brexit for the mdr for ivdr as you said Avidia is not in 2020, but 2022. But they have to start now to think about it. So it's something that uh, that is really really important for, as you say. So it's or or you swim or you sink. So you have to decide, and for that you have to put in place a strategy. Yeah, I mean, basically,
1: uh, uh, I saw the best way to look at it as a company is just look at okay, what's my turnover in the European market and the markets that are dependent on the CE mark. And if I if I'm not if I don't get this done, then this is what I'll lose. My and and also companies also sometimes say like yeah, but we will bridge with stock and so on, or we will uh, we will take some time to get back to the market. But don't forget, that there's other companies that see this as a as a tool of competition. So exactly. they will immediately scoop up your market share, and then you have to fight your way back into the market. And that's uh, that's actually not that easy.
0: Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, people will not wait for them to come back to the market. They will choose another competitor and they will go with it and learn uh, to use their products. And after that, they, they will not come back to another product again. So yeah, I can. I can dependent
1: on uh, tenders, for example, public tenders. Well, I mean, you might exclude yourself from the market for five years uh, that way.
0: <laughs> thank you, Eric. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wish you a really nice day. And thank you really for uh, for coming to the podcast. Likewise, thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, it was a great talk with Eric Falbrecht. So if you need a lawyer specialized on medical devices or pharmaceutical, Eric is really the right one. So don't forget to go on the website of Axon Lawyer. I will put the links on the show notes. And don't forget to say to him that you come on my behalf. So thank you very much. And uh, so don't forget to keep learning. Uh, share this episode, share this podcast with your colleagues who wants to learn medical devices, regulation and standards. And I'll see you on the next episode. So thank you very much and have a nice day.